Hi, you're listening to the Connect Your Health to Life coaching podcast. I'm your host, Seth Lusk. I am a self-image coach and empowerment coach with a decade-long background in working in the health, fitness, and nutrition industry. If you're anything like I was or the way that my clients currently are, then you might be struggling with body image issues, self-image issues, or issues with confidence. You might be trying to figure out why you can't take the ideas that you have for living your healthiest and most fulfilling life and turn them into lifelong actions. So join me in this podcast as we dive in deep on topics of mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. We're going to look from the perspective of an authentic and empowering mindset and from self-awareness, self-love, and of course, how we can start taking authentic self-action towards living that healthy and fulfilling life that you know you're here to live. I'm going to bust through some of the illusions and myths that we've all been taught to believe along the way and offer you confidence and clarity. I'm so excited to have you on this journey with me. So the only question is, are you ready to find out how you can start living your most authentic and fulfilling life once and for all? Then let's get started, shall we? Hello, hello, my friends. I am back with another episode for you on the Connect Your Health to Life coaching podcast. Um, For those of you just joining the podcast that haven't um, heard from me before, let me introduce myself. My name is Seth Lusk, and I am a holistic health and mindset coach. I have my own company called Connect Your Health to Life Coaching Services, and I operate my business out of Zurich, Switzerland. I'm originally from the USA, and I moved to Switzerland about four years ago, started my own company. Um, I am a personal trainer, nutrition specialist, and like I said, a health and mindset coach. And I do online coaching for people. Um, and I use the modalities of mindset, self-awareness, self-love, and authentic self-action to help people live their healthiest lives once and for all. And so this podcast is all about um, the topics that I cover with various clients of mine, things that people I see are struggling with, things that my clients are struggling with, things that I've struggled with involving my health um, or their health and how mindset affected it greatly. And then, of course, we will also talk about... um, in other podcast episodes, various things that we can do, actions that we can take to live our healthiest lives. Um, But all in all, mindset is going to be the key to people being able to put those ideas into practice and really live them out consistently. And this is what I discovered through my years of being a personal trainer and nutrition specialist before I discovered the power of coaching. And I recognized this pattern of people starting to do work and then uh, giving up and then coming back and giving up and coming back to work with me or just giving up totally because they just couldn't stand um, the the judgmental voice that was going on in their head when they were trying to get healthier and all of these different mindset issues. And so that's why I decided to rebrand my business about almost two years ago to be a coaching-based business versus a personal training and nutrition-based business. And so the personal training and nutrition are kind of secondary features of my business that I offer my clients that work with me. Um, So yes, 
that's what the podcast is about. I hope you decide to join us and subscribe and listen to the podcast. Um, if you want to know a little bit more about me, you can also check out my website at www.slch.ch. Again, that's www.s as in Seth, L as in Lusk, C as in Cat, H as in Hat, dot C-H. The C-H stands for Switzerland because the website is a Swiss website, so um, it's not .com. Remember to put the .ch to find my website. All right, so that brings us to today's episode, and I've been telling my Facebook group about this episode coming out, so I'm sure they're all excited to hear what I have to say about this, and for those of you who are not in my Facebook group, um, the Health Connection Corner on Facebook, you can go and search and join the group. It's free to join, but you don't know what the topic is, so you're a little bit um, at a disadvantage, I guess, to the people in my Facebook group, so let me tell you. Today, we are talking about urges. Oh, I know. It sounds so fabulous, right? We're so excited to talk about our urges. And the title of the podcast, as you saw, was The Urge Emergency. And you guys may be wondering what it is that I'm talking about when I say The Urge Emergency. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So basically, what an urge is, is this intense desire to play out a behavior pattern. Um, And... We see this, or I see this all the time in my clients, usually involving um, things like food that doesn't serve their body, or just food in general, alcohol, maybe even drug use. Um, but it can also manifest itself in you know television watching, so many different habits that, that can turn into urges. And that's why I want to talk about this today, because we are in the midst of a pandemic where our health is our biggest priority right now. Optimizing our health and our immune system is we're all learning more important now than it has ever been in our lifetimes, most of the people that have been alive today. Um, And yet what I'm seeing is that during this pandemic, people are turning to food and alcohol to sort of numb the anxiety and the depression and the loneliness that they are facing during this pandemic. And that's what I want to speak on today is why we are doing this when we know it doesn't serve us, when we know that the behavior pattern is destructive, it's harming our bodies, and we now know that now more than ever we need to be taking care of our bodies. So why is it that we struggle so much to not give in to these urges? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Starting off with why do we even have urges? Where do they come from? And what I want to say is that if you're one of these people that maybe judges yourself for having these urges or maybe, you know, talks to yourself really negatively for having the urge or for every time you give in to the urge, what I want to tell you is this. Be kind to yourself. Okay? Be kind. That is the number one rule that I will tell all of my clients. Always have your back and always be kind to yourself. It's okay to want to change something. But if you can't do it from a space of kindness and love, then we're not really actually making any change. So be kind to yourself. Rule number one, there's nothing broken about you or your brain. That's not why you're giving into these urges. And actually, if you're having intense urges, what that means is that your brain is doing exactly what it was designed to do. (laughs) Biologically, your brain is doing exactly what it has evolved to do. And this is where urges come from. 
but they don't serve us nowadays, and that we will get into in a little bit. But basically, what happens is this. Urges are like our survival software in our brain. This comes from sort of the primitive age of when we were, as a species, trying to survive. And so this part of our brain started running this software program of something is wrong, keep your eyes open, but stay inside the cave, stay by the fire, and stay safe, or you will die. And this served us for a little while until we needed food, and then we'd have to leave the cage. Or leave the cave, not the cage, but the cave. Or also maybe the cage, I don't know, maybe people lived in cages then. And so this pattern evolved to stay safe, stay inside the cave, but also we needed to eat. We needed to stay alive. And so our brain developed this ability to reward us to search out food, and it would reward us through different hormonal responses like dopamine um, and different pleasure hormones that would just make us feel very good when we would finally eat. And so our brain sort of used this as the motivation to go out and go after food, even though there was that fear of possibly there being danger outside of the cave. And then this sort of creates the the pool in which modern-day urges live in, is this software program of something is wrong, stay inside the cave, and this other software program of go find food and stay alive. That's gonna, and, and you'll be rewarded for it, survive. So we have these two sort of survival software programs running, and then we live in a day and age now where food is everywhere, alcohol is everywhere, television is everywhere, all of these options to do things that distract us from our lives are everywhere. And the reason why they are so addictive to us and they become urges is because food, alcohol, television, any of these things, pornography, sex, drugs, they play on that part of our brain that gives us our pleasure and reward, which gives us comfort, which then also plays into that part of our brain that says, stay safe. Comfort and safety to our brain feel very much the same. And so uh, when we have urges, the reason why it becomes so difficult to get past them is because a part of our brain is literally telling you that you need the comfort of this urge or you're going to die. Your brain literally is telling you if you don't give in to this urge, you will die. And so that's why urges feel like life or death. They feel so like an emergency. My, my, my little pun on words there. Um, and so, yeah, this is why so many of us have these urges and they don't serve us, but we, we can't figure out why, even though we know they don't serve us, they have so much power, why they feel so strong. And the brain intensifies the strength of these urges the more we repeat the pattern, because every time we repeat the pattern, our brain collects more evidence that, see, this behavior gets us comfort. This behavior creates safety. This behavior is keeping us alive. And so the urge becomes stronger and stronger every time we play it out. So you can see now how this pattern creates this almost, for a lot of people, they feel like it's hopeless to try and give up on an urge or to... to, turn away from an urge and not give into it. And that's because most of us are using willpower. 
to try and not give in to our urges. And my friends, I've said this in a previous podcast and in previous posts that I've done on Facebook and Instagram, willpower is not not an infinite resource. It's actually a very finite resource. It's a very expensive resource for our brain because it's all resistance and fear-based. That takes a lot of energy from our brain. And eventually, our brain cannot keep up that intense of an amount of energy of, of resist, 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 and we give in. And it's that letting go of the resistance and giving in, and then we... we strengthen the behavior pattern, but what we don't realize is that there's another option that doesn't take willpower. Actually, it takes a lot less energy, but it's also not comfortable. And this is why most people don't choose it is because it's uncomfortable. So I want to speak on that a little bit. I want to speak on the fact that we give in to urges because urges we associate with comfort. And we're going to speak about why we associate those urges with comfort in a minute. But what I want to say is this. We think, because of the way our brain is talking to us when we have an urge, that if we don't give in to the urge, we're just going to feel uncomfortable. And so therefore, discomfort to our primitive brain means death. Because discomfort means you're cast out of the group, you're not getting fed, you're not having your needs met, so you're probably going to die. So our brain tells us to avoid discomfort, which... In the primitive ages of humanity, that served us because it kept us alive. But now, comfort is everywhere. So we actually have to teach ourselves to lean into discomfort now. Otherwise, we end up with urges and strong urges that don't serve us. And we start overeating, over-drinking, over-sexing, over-porning, over-televisioning, over-everythinging, over-exercising even. Everything can become a comfort associated with comfort for us. And our brain is telling us to avoid discomfort And so we think that giving into these urges gives us comfort, and so we keep giving into them. But here's the illusion that I want to point out. We know these urges don't serve us, and we know it on on, some of us know it on a conscious level, some of us know it on a subconscious level. And so every time we give into these urges on a conscious or subconscious level, we are also creating discomfort. Because we think to ourselves that we didn't want to give in to that urge, and we did it anyways. So we create the discomfort of not being able to trust ourselves, of not feeling in control, of not knowing why we did what we just did. And that feels out of control. Control equals comfort to the primitive brain as well. So you can see how this creates a bit of a conundrum in the brain because we think that we're seeking comfort by giving into this urge, but we end up creating discomfort, which then tells us to seek the urge again to create more comfort, which then creates discomfort. Do you see what I'm getting at here? We end up in this repetitive cycle. And again, most of us are trying to use willpower to get out of it. And this doesn't work. Because willpower only lasts a certain amount of time. And maybe you'll get through one urge with the willpower, But then the urge is going to keep coming back stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's going to keep convincing you with more urgency. If you don't do this, you're going to die. And this is because we're not practicing the other way that we can deal with urges, which is mindfulness, mindset work, thought work, understanding where the urge came from. What was it that we were avoiding in the first place when we started practicing this behavior pattern that is now an urge. What were we comforting? What were we trying to numb? What were we trying to escape from when this behavior pattern 
started. This is the self-awareness. This is part of the process that I walk my coaching clients through. First step, self-awareness. Then we move into self-love. And then we move into authentic self-action. So the first step is awareness. And in order to become aware, we need to be able to look at our thoughts, our feelings, and, our, and the behavior patterns and, and learn to become aware of what is creating what here. So in order to do that, we need to be able to notice our thinking during an urge. This is so hard for some people because when we have an urge, we start to panic because the brain is telling us we're about to die if we don't give in to this urge. And so in the moment, it feels almost impossible to think about what am I thinking about right now? What is it that's, why is it that I want to give into this? For most people, that's not the time to do it. That's why the mindset work is important to do beforehand, to start noticing how to notice thoughts beforehand, to start noticing the behavior patterns afterwards and thinking about the thoughts afterwards when you're not in the middle of an urge. So you can start getting to the point where you are more mindful of your thinking, your feelings, your belief systems, so that in the moment of an urge, you can practice sort of, if you can think about this, okay, I'm going to use a, a little analogy right now, or a metaphor. In a hurricane or in a tornado, say there's a tornado, an F5 tornado, and it's coming right for the neighborhood that you live in. Now, there's always the person that's going to panic when they know that the, the tornado is coming, and they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to freeze in fear, or they're going to begin to act irrationally out of fear. So, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but usually in panic, in, in emergency situations like this, there's always that person that somehow has this, I don't know, it almost seems like superhuman ability to just breathe into the situation and come up with a solution and just do it. And we see them as being the hero of the situation. But really what they're doing is they're practicing mindfulness. They're recognizing that fear being there. And they're allowing that fear to be there. And them saying, yes, fear, I recognize you. This is what I'm afraid of right now. But what's going to save me is not reacting to this fear, but finding a solution. So yes, I'm afraid. And in this fear, I'm going to take action to find a solution. They're not saying I'm not allowed to be afraid. The fear is still there. But they're not reacting to it. They're choosing another thought pattern to react to that they are creating. And then they come up with an action plan. And usually because they're thinking logically at that point in time, the action plan is pretty good. But they have no idea whether or not the action plan is going to actually work because it's an emergency situation and so many things could go wrong. But the reality is they're thinking intentionally, slowly, and thoughtfully while experiencing fear at the same time. And this comes from the ability to manage one's mind, to be mindful, to be aware of the difference between reacting to an emotion and feeling an emotion. This is what I always talk about when I, when I talk about becoming aware of our emotions and learning to not be reactive to our emotions, but to be responsible for our, with our emotions. Emotional responsibility, being able to respond to an emotion versus reacting to it. So let's go back. We're talking about this urge here. So we're in the middle of an urge. And what we don't recognize is that the urge started... Because at one point in time, we started associating that behavior pattern with comfort. And then we're in the middle of an urge, and our brain is telling you, you need comfort right now because you're about to die. Find comfort because comfort means safety. Comfort means we're going to live. 
And so this urge is playing this program in the background. You go into all-out panic mode, and if you don't recognize that how much energy it's going to take to try and resist this is going to be so finite. You're not going to have that amount, that amount of energy for so long. But what you don't recognize is that the thought pattern behind it is there and that you don't have to. You can recognize that thought pattern and recognize that it is just your brain telling you you're going to die if you don't give in to this urge and recognize I'm not actually going to die. I'm not going to die if I don't eat this you know, entire refrigerator full of food. I'm not going to die if I don't drink this bottle of vodka right now or this bottle of wine or even this glass of wine. And... Most people don't take the time to recognize that because they don't even realize that it's an option. And here's the other part about it. Because of the fact that it's been such a played out process, sometimes the action comes so quickly we don't even recognize that we're doing the action until we've already done it. And so this brings me to the other part about urges that I want you to recognize is that usually the urge has a pattern to it. There's a time of day, a trigger that happens where the urge comes in. For instance, for a lot of people with, with drinking alcohol or even with snacking, coming home from work is like the hour of urge. And when we come home from work, we all have, well, not we all, but what I notice with a lot of people is that they have a specific behavior pattern when they get home from work that is an urge. For a lot of people, it's going immediately to the refrigerator to get a bottle of beer, to get a bottle of wine out. To For a lot of people, it's going to the refrigerator to get food. For some people, it's going home and immediately getting on social media or immediately going home and, and turning on the television. And the reason why people do this is because they don't recognize when they get home from work that they're stressing about something. They don't know what it is that they're stressing about. All they know is that they feel uncomfortable. They don't want to deal with the discomfort or looking at the discomfort and where it's coming from, the emotions that are behind it, and why it is that you feel stressed out. And understand you don't have to respond to that stress. You can choose mindfulness and choose thought management to find a way to deal with the, the stress of the day in a healthy manner, in a way that serves your body. But instead, they reach for a buffer. And when I say a buffer, it's these, these urge behaviors, things like drinking, things like eating and snacking, things like binge watching television, things like getting on social media immediately, things like going to have sex, things like looking at pornography, things like drugs. All of these things can be buffers to distract us from what's really going on inside of ourselves and our brains. So this teaches us to disconnect from our bodies, which makes recognizing the urge and where it comes from that much more difficult. So guys, what I want you to first recognize is the triggers. When are your urges becoming or are coming up? When are they coming up? For some people, it's right before bed. They're worried about sleeping. They're worried about the day. For some people, it's immediately when they wake up. For some people, it's when they get home from work. For some people, it's right when they get to work. Pay attention to when the urges seem to happen because there's a key there to lean into that's going to let you know why you have the urge to begin with. And that's where the thought management needs to begin. The feelings management, looking into the feelings, recognizing where this came from, why you started the behavior pattern in the first place, and you can start to break apart the illusion of why you're doing this and recognize at the same time that the reason it feels so intense is because you've repeated it so many times and your brain is still running this software program in the background of you're going to die if you don't give in to the urge. Seek comfort now. And again, my friends, don't slip into guilt or shame here. 
because all of our brains are running the software program in the background. That might sound like, oh, well, what's the use then? This is just a hopeless situation. But no, no, don't think it's a hopeless situation because here's where mindfulness comes in. Just because it's a thought, once you recognize it, does not mean that you have to believe it, does not mean that you have to follow it. So here's the other part of urges that I want you, it's it's an analogy that I want you to think about. Urges are kind of like rivers. And the more we give into the urge, the bigger the river becomes because we keep feeding the urge, feeding the pathway that the river is going down. And so the river gets wider, the current gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger the more times we give into the urge. And so what most of us are doing is the moment that we see the river, we jump into the middle of it and then the river takes us away. And we're like, why can't I resist the stream? Okay, so the river is the thought. The thought has a lot of pull once you grab onto it or once you jump into the river. But here's the thing about thoughts. Just like a river, you can stand beside it on the shore and watch it go by. You don't have to do anything that it's telling you to do. And you're not going to die if you don't. Now, the slippery slope here is that a lot of people will start to resist the thought and want to judge the thought as being bad and wrong. But we're not going to do that either because we recognize where the thought comes from. It's not wrong. It's our brain trying to protect us. It's just that that protection is no longer necessary. So we now have the opportunity to teach our brain what real protection looks like. What really is going to keep us safe, which is loving ourselves and our bodies, taking care of our health and our bodies, not giving in to these urges all of the time because these urges are actually what's creating the unsafety, the discomfort in the long run. So... Here's another thing that I want to bring up, and I want to talk about this here. And this is going to be, I saved this part for last because it's a tough part, a tough part of this topic to discuss, and it's the topic of addiction. And what I want to talk about here is this. There's no such thing as a type of person that is an addict. Everybody has just as much capability of being an addict. And as a matter of fact, I'd say about 99% of the people on this planet are addicts. They're active addicts. But we, the thing is, we have made certain addictions socially acceptable. Because we weigh the pros and cons of the addiction, and then we base the pros and cons of the addiction is what we use to weigh whether or not the addiction is a good or bad addiction. But here's the thing. All of those pros and cons are society-based, and those are all subjective. So, objectively speaking, there is no addiction that's better than another one. Being addicted to caffeine is no better than being addicted to heroin. And I know some people are going to say, oh, but heroin can kill you, so can caffeine. Maybe it takes a little bit longer, but it can kill you as well. And, not to mention... There are certain societies that are perfectly okay with people committing suicide when they no longer want to be alive. So the idea of someone taking heroin because they want to die or because they don't care about dying in some societies wouldn't actually be a problem. So again, if we're talking about weighing the pros and cons of an addiction, we're doing this based on our societal 
what is this socially acceptable to us? We, what we've been socially groomed to accept as being, this is an okay behavior, this is not. And what I want you to open up to the idea of is that this is all made up. There is no such thing as a worse or better addiction. All addictions are destructive internally to our bodies and to our emotional health. All addictions are destructive. And I know that it's interesting to me that just within my lifetime, seeing how certain addictions to certain things have changed. When I was a kid, it was perfectly acceptable to smoke at work, to smoke in restaurants, to smoke at home, to smoke in a car full of kids. All of that was perfectly okay. And now, at this age, especially in the U.S., you better not light up a cigarette anywhere near anybody that doesn't smoke. Because that addiction is disgusting. You're destroying your body. Keep it to yourself. But guys, if you can just see just within my lifetime, our view of an addiction has changed so drastically, which goes to show you that our views of addiction are so subjective, which means that we cannot judge one addiction as being better than another, worse than another. They're all addictions. Another one that I notice is, you know, say for instance in the 60s, 70s, or even 80s, mothers getting drunk would have been like, oh my God, you get drunk, you have children to take care of, you're a horrible mother. And people would so look down on a, on a mother that was drinking, you know, like this is such a horrible thing to do. And then nowadays I, I hear people talking about mommy needs her little martini, mommy needs her happy juice, mommy needs her feel good glass, things like that. And it's like we say these little things like somehow these little phrases make the addiction light and happy, you know, this is a good addiction now. Look at me, I'm, I feel better and comfortable now because I'm drinking alcohol. So now it's a good, do you see what I'm saying here? I don't want you to judge yourself right now, but I just want you to notice how societal views of addictions change so rapidly, just within a couple of decades. So for, for us to, we need to recognize that this belief that we can weigh certain addictions as being better or worse than others does not serve us. All addictions are addictions. Let's call them what they are, and let's stop stigmatizing addiction as being something that bad people have. Stop making addictions something that weak people have, because we all have them. We all have them, whether it's a behavior pattern, whether it's a food, whether it's uh, something that you drink, whether it's something you inject in your veins, snort up your nose, take from a bottle it, it, as a pill. It doesn't matter what it is. It's still an addiction. Another one is caffeine. People think caffeine is a completely harmless thing for people to be addicted to, but it is a drug. It is a psychoactive drug. But we don't think twice about letting someone in their early teens start getting addicted to caffeine. We don't even think twice about that. But if you look at, look at it from a health and an emotional perspective, it is destructive. It is a drug, and it hurts the body in the long run. But we think it's just... It's totally okay if someone's addicted to caffeine, if someone needs five cups of coffee a day, you know, until it starts killing their kidneys and killing other parts of their body, their, their adrenal glands. And then we're like, oh, no, no, you're, you've gone overboard with the, with the caffeine addiction. You, you've, you've taken this too far. But it's, that, let's be honest here. So many people are addicted to caffeine, and they're just not willing to look at it as an addiction. Because we've stigmatized the word addiction to mean someone stuck in an alley somewhere with a needle hanging out of their arm, dead. That's an addict. 
or someone who gets blackout drunk and then has to start going to AA meetings because they landed in a jail cell after they beat the crap out of someone while they were drunk and don't remember it. We see that as being an addict. We don't see the, the workaholic dad that gets up every morning and has to drink coffee all day long and then can't sleep at night and then still has to drink coffee the next morning so that he can make it through the day so he can work all the time and make a bunch of money and stay addicted to caffeine, 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 caffeine. We don't see that as an addict because that's honorable because he's working to support his family, right? Still an addict. We don't see the mom that every night after her kids go to bed needs a half a bottle of wine to calm herself down so that she can go to sleep at night. We don't see that as an addict, no, because she's got it all together. She still shows up in the morning for her kids and goes to work every day. That's not an addict. But both of these people are dependent on a substance to be able to survive. That's an addict. So I don't want you to slip into guilt and shame here. I want us to start being honest with ourselves about addictions and what addictions are and how many of us truly have them and how many of us are unwilling to look at our addictions because we've stigmatized the word to ourselves and we feel so much shame surrounding the word that we're not willing to look at our addictions, our urges as an addiction. We're not willing to admit that we have an addiction, we have a problem that we have given up power to. And we don't know how to take our power back. I love you all and I don't want you to feel shame or guilt. Guys, I struggled so hard, so, so, so hard with addictions in my life. I'm talking addictions to sex. I'm talking addictions to pornography. I'm talking addictions to food. Yes, I've always been thin, but I've had addictions to food. I'm talking addictions to alcohol. I'm talking addictions to drugs. I'm talking addictions to caffeine. And I'm willing to admit that I was addicted to them, even though by most people's standards I wasn't an addict because I showed up every day completely functional. Working, living the life, creating my business, building up my business, being healthy. So of course I'm not an addict, right? Guys, I was addicted. Addicted to caffeine. Addicted to alcohol. Addicted to sex. Addicted to pornography. And I was unwilling to admit that to myself because I saw being an addict as so many of these negative things. And what I didn't realize is that by me seeing an addict as being all these negative things, I wasn't allowing myself to see my own addictions and to then take my power back with them. I can now go to a dinner party and have a half a glass of wine and just be like, no, I'm good now. Because I was willing to look at my addiction for exactly what it was. I was willing to look at my addiction as an addiction and recognize that I had let it get out of control. I had let it get out of control. I had the power and I took it back. Caffeine, same thing. Haven't had caffeine in almost three months now. Completely caffeine free for three months now. No side effects, no desire. I do kind of miss the taste of coffee, but I don't want the caffeine in it. So I don't have coffee because I don't need it. It's not going to kill me to not have coffee. And this is a, a really one of the funny addictions because I know a lot of people get really offended about their coffee. And forgive me, I, I have a, a friend, a dear friend, and she knows who she is when I'm, when I'm making this podcast. If you're listening to this, I'm not talking directly to you and I'm not trying to tell you to give up your coffee. But I just wanted to speak about the coffee addiction and how people get so attached to their, their coffee 
and their need for coffee and how funny it is that people won't look at it as an as an addiction and admit that it's an addiction you don't have to feel guilty about that but also to think about this people kids don't drink coffee i didn't have my first cup of coffee until i was i want to say 15 16 years old and so what i recognize for myself with coffee and with so many people is that they act like if they stop drinking coffee they're going to die and yes you will have withdrawal symptoms but that's a sign in and of itself that that was an addiction and that it was a harmful one if you're going through withdrawals to try and come off of it. So people are afraid to go through these withdrawals. And so they, they act like they're going to die if they give up caffeine. And like caffeine is like just a necessary part of life and such a normal part of life. And what I want people to recognize is that I most of us survived 10, 15 years without caffeine. Some of us even 20 years maybe before we started having caffeine. And we lived perfectly fine as children. We were totally happy. I was happy as a kid. I didn't need caffeine to be happy, but I didn't recognize really what caffeine... And then when I started drinking it as a way to buffer away some other things, like fatigue of not sleeping at night and trying to get away from my depression and try and energize myself and becoming addicted to it, it really felt like I would die if I just stopped drinking it. But I wasn't going to die. The truth was I wasn't going to die. But there's that urge again coming in. So, yes, my friends... Do not think that I'm sitting here talking to you guys about this because I'm trying to say that I'm some superhuman that doesn't struggle with urges and that my urges were not also addictions. I want to speak to you all about this because I know exactly what it feels like to struggle with urges and to not be willing to look at them as the addictions that they are. And what I want to say is that you don't have to feel powerless because there is a solution. And that's why I'm here talking to you all today about this topic. Because there is a solution. And the solution is not willpower. It's not resistance. It's not hating yourself. It's not being disgusted with yourself. It's not being so fed up with yourself that you kick the habit because, you know, I'm such an awful person for having it as a habit. No. No, no, no. We can do it from a space of awareness and love. And this is where mindset work comes in. This is why I do the work that I do with people. My friends, I know so many people right now out there during this pandemic are struggling with alcohol and food issues right now. Alcohol sales have gone up by like, I think, 30% during the pandemic, which just goes to show you how many of us use alcohol as a way to avoid our feelings, our emotions, our beliefs, to buffer away our discomfort. And I know personally with friends of mine and coaching clients of mine that food, emotional eating has gotten so out of control for so many people during this pandemic because they don't know what to stuff in their mouth anymore to buffer away the discomfort of, what, of the uncertainty of this pandemic. Which tells me more and more that there are so many people out there that are unaware of how to, from a space of love, manage their thinking, their beliefs and learn to be responsible for their emotions versus reacting and resisting them. Reacting to them or resisting them. So my friends, what I want to offer is that there is hope. There is hope, and it's closer than you think. The first step that I want you to take is to start recognizing the pattern of when your urges come up. Second step I want you to take is to let go of any stigma you have surrounding the word of addiction, of the word addict. 
we are biologically designed to be addicts. <laughs> we are addicted to comfort. Some of us end up finding that comfort in heroin. Some of us end up finding that comfort in food. But it all starts from the same space. We're all seeking to fill the same void. And what I want to offer you is that there's another way to fill that void and it doesn't have to be a substance that you put in your mouth, in your veins, in your eyes. It's not something you have to have sex with. It's something that you have complete power and control over. And that is the way you talk to yourself and what you think and believe. So... Take these two steps, my friend. This isn't going to solve the urge, but it is the, a way to start and to start becoming aware of where your urges are coming from. If you take these two steps and you're ready, you, you start noticing more and more of how the, this urge has power over you and you want to get your power back with these urges. I want to ask you to reach out for help. That's what coaches like me are here for. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to make you feel guilty about yourselves because I don't know about, I can't speak for other coaches, but I, I know a lot of coaches that have also struggled with these issues. I have struggled with these issues personally. So it's not something I'm going to judge you for. It's something that I have the most compassion for, most understanding for. So reach out, get help. That's what us coaches are here for. That's what I am here for. So take these first two steps. Remember, become aware of the pattern. When do the urges come up? Is it certain times of day, certain triggers, certain things happening around you that cause them to come up? And the second step, release the stigma around the words of addict and addiction because they do not serve you. In becoming aware of your urges and the fact that you are addicted to something. Okay? So take these two steps. When you're ready to do the deeper work, get help. Ask someone to help you work through this. I love you all. That's all I have for you today. And I look forward to talking to you all again. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Connect Your Health to Life coaching podcast. I hope you enjoyed the content of this podcast today. If you did, please subscribe or follow this podcast to receive newest episodes every week as I bring them to you here on the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. If you would like more information about me and the work that I do with my clients one-on-one, -on -one, please visit www.slch.ch for more. Again, that is www.slch.ch. You can also find me on Instagram at sethlusk underscore coaching. Again, that's sethlusk underscore coaching. Or on Facebook and my Facebook community that's called Health Connection Corner. One last time, that Facebook group is called Health Connection Corner. It's free to join. You just have to answer three membership questions to become a part of the community there. And we would love to have you. I want to thank you again for listening. I look forward to our next time together. Have a wonderful and health-filled day. Ciao.